How to Survive a Dark Night of the Soul, and How to Identify One in the First Place. I believe there are two different kinds of dark nights of the soul. I've had both, and they mean different things. They mean different things are going on, and there are different ways that you need to have your mindset oriented around them, and there are different tactics to survive, outlast, and even benefit from them. So in this episode, we're going to dive into my personal dark nights of the soul, how to tell the difference between the two types, and how to not only get through, but flourish after both. Well, hello, gorgeous one. Welcome to Bombshell Radio. Here, we combine pleasure and purpose to liberate women into their divine assignment of being the fullest expression of fierce femininity. My name is Jackie LaCroix. I believe that pleasure is a life force. Beauty is for you. And your sexual design is the key to your greatest fulfillment and calling. I'm the author of the best-selling book, The Bombshell Manifesto, and I've mentored women in body, beauty, business, and intimacy with God, themselves, and men for over 10 years. Each week, you'll receive a different edition of Bombshell Radio, focusing on one of these areas, all designed to inspire you and help you optimize every area of your feminine design so that you can live your biggest, most beautiful life. If you've been longing for a place where you can merge your spirituality and your sexuality and enter a conversation that honors your body, your beauty, your business savvy, and your faith, welcome home. Let's get started. So to begin, what exactly is a dark night of the soul? Now, these are obviously all my own opinions. I'm not a healthcare practitioner of any kind. And so you're hearing what I think <laughs> of this concept and not any kind of version of what people might call the truth or an authoritative opinion. You're simply hearing my opinion. But to me, this is a period or a phase that you go through that is, first of all, temporary. So it is not in any way something that could be considered a hormonal imbalance or a clinical depression or something that might be medically or health or, you know, some other how based. This is spiritually oriented, in my opinion. This is a period of, believe it or not, growth. It's the death part of the growth cycle of the death and rebirth growth cycle. And so fortunately, it is temporary. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's short-lived. I think it can vary, but it does end. <laughs> and that's my first piece of not only good news for you, but also of how to identify this. And when you look back at your life, you may be able to see if you have already had a dark night of the soul. I find that they often go along with periods of transition or of major questioning. So let's get into the two different kinds of the dark night of the soul and the two that I've had. Ironically, they were both in Paris, <laughs> or at least there was a period of each that occurred in Paris. Paris, by the way, is a fantastic place to have a dark night of the soul. <laughs> I could not recommend it more. And if you're trying to spur one to cause you to create greater 
growth in your life to almost act as a catalyst, I highly recommend Paris in the winter time because it is so excessively dreary and yet melancholic and artistic all at the same time. So if you're looking to start questioning life, doubting yourself, <laughs> wondering what the meaning of it all is, book a ticket to Paris in January and you will be very fulfilled in your uh, your seeking out of a dark night of the soul. So the two different kinds of dark nights of the soul. Again, these are my opinions. These are just things that I've noticed over the years, watching people, walking through life myself, walking through life with clients. The first type is a true spiritual questioning. So this is, in my opinion, the much worse kind. And what makes it unique from the other type is that you are in this type questioning God. Now, I don't know that this necessarily has to accompany a period of transition. I think both types of Dark Nights of the Soul actually tend to accompany transitions. But the second type, actually, I think usually goes more along with transition. This one can come out of nowhere. This one can appear in the middle of the drudgery of everyday life where you're simply getting up and going through your mundane tasks every single day and it's just wearing on you. It can be as certain relationships that have roles in your life that are highly significant, perhaps drift into complacency and maybe something that's a little more distant and dissatisfying. Generally, these can come out of nowhere which is unfortunate because they can be so damaging unless you know what to do with them, okay? So I've only had this type of dark night of the soul, fortunately, once, and I would like to believe that you only need to have it once in your life. Perhaps I'm wrong. Perhaps people have had this type several times, but I think if you know how to weather it, you can essentially never have to go through it again. I also think it can be the longer lasting type. And that's because the questionings that you're doing in this spiritual dark night of the soul is, is so profound and so based in or rooted in like the essential questions of human existence practically. Okay. So this for me happened, gosh, 13 years ago, perhaps now. And I was in Paris over the winter, very depressing time to be there. As I have already said, once Christmas lights all come down, it is just dreary and gray and very, very, oh, it's, it's a tough chore to get yourself cheerful in that kind of environment every day. So that I don't know was the cause. There were other things going on at that time, but it certainly didn't help, right? So certainly some people might say, oh, seasonal affective disorder might make it worse. I don't know, perhaps. But in my opinion, the heart of this, which in my opinion, again, can happen anywhere in the world at any time of year, is that you start to question God himself. You start to question the meaning and the purpose of life itself, of your own existence, of every perhaps foundational belief that you grew up with or that you were trained in or that you were taught or that was kind of beat into you or simply that you willingly picked up and thought that you saw the world in a certain way and it probably was correct and you were perfectly happy to go through life thinking that and then suddenly all of those core foundational beliefs come crashing down why are you here what is the point of all this is there even a god 
does he even exist? And if he does, does he even care? Because it certainly seems like he doesn't. Is everything that you've always thought and been taught actually a lie? Has it been somehow holding you back from what life is supposed to be, from what you could have done, what you could have enjoyed? And are you even going to find fulfillment in those things if you go chase them? Why does everything feel so empty? This is an existential crisis at its core. And that's why it sucks <laughs> so badly, right? Because it's, it's almost impossible to find anything to distract yourself from it. This is the kind of questioning that doesn't just come up in your spirit, but it kind of won't leave you alone. And if you are shifting out of perhaps beliefs that you've had for years, maybe even decades, suddenly every single thing you do, every single decision you make, you see in a new light and it feels like an earthquake has happened and everything that was previously seen as a strong foundation is now either torn down or worthless or questionable or you're dubious about its strength or veracity at all. So every decision that you make, everything that you do starts to feel questioned, questionable. Why are you doing it? Why should you do it? What's the point? Who cares? Are these people all kind of just going through the motions and just buying into some made up philosophy that perhaps isn't even based in anything accurate? And what is accurate? What defines accurate? What actually does exist? What is true? What is real? And why should it matter? Why should you care? There's a profound element of apathy at the core of a spiritual dark night of the soul. Because if you start questioning God and his existence and whether or not he cares and what his character is even like and whether he's paying attention and whether he's malicious and all of that, you know, assuming that he even exists at all, why should you care? Right? Which means that if there was any kind of moral code that you led your life by, if no right and wrong exists, if no God exists, if nothing matters, then it's anybody's game. Right? then there is no bad, there is no good. You get to define it. And there are many people in the world who actively live this way every day and at least tell themselves <laughs> that they're very happy. I've yet to meet one who's actually happy. <laughs> when you talk to them long enough, you start to get to the core of some deep angers and, and things. From my experience, having conversations with people who claim these beliefs, they tend to fall back on some kind of moral code and then they can't tell me where they got it from because they don't believe that there's any moral absolutes. So it's, it usually leads to fascinating conversations. But in these spiritual dark nights, what matters? So when I experienced this some 12 or so years ago now, 12, 13, I was in Paris gray sky day after gray sky day after gray sky day. And in fact, I just heard on a, another podcast earlier today, totally different context, but the questions summed this up so beautifully. And what I found myself asking was not so much who am I or who is God, but a variation on what actually matters. So in this malaise, walking around Paris, taking buses, drinking coffee, eating chocolate, just kind of going through the bare minimum of life lost in my thoughts. 
the questions that started to come up were, what do I actually care about? Assuming for a minute that God didn't exist, that there was no right or wrong, and certainly not the long list that I had previously thought, that nothing really mattered, that no one really cared. And yet I didn't want to die. I wanted to keep living. But what was the point? I sat down near the Arc de Triomphe with a little tiny notebook, and I wrote down at the top of the sheet what I still care about. And that list, my friends, was very, very short. But what was fascinating, given the extent of my questioning at that time, was that there was still something on it, <laughs> right? It wasn't a totally blank page, which you would assume you would get from a position of apathy. There were still things that I legitimately cared for, cared about. There weren't that many, but there were some. And in my opinion, now looking back, that is the most effective way to gently yet forcefully, because otherwise it can really turn into a new way of going through life and a miserable one. So to guide yourself out of this season before you have some come to Jesus moment where you recognize that God exists and he really loves you and he's in control and everything's okay, when you're in the murk of this total doubt of all things, of everything that you thought you knew and of everything that you thought you cared about and of everything that you were told to care about. The question that I found most helpful, and I wasn't intending to guide myself out of it, but after a while I got bored of my own apathy. <laughs> I got bored of my own existential crisis day after day. So the helpful question was not who am I or is God real? It was what would I still stand for? What do I still care about? What matters to me still? And although I can't remember the few short things on that list, I know that some of them were the protection of children. It still caused a righteous anger in me to think about children being hurt. Even if there was no God, even if there was no right and wrong, even if every moral absolute I'd lived by for so long was thrown up in the air. There was still a core in me that was very dedicated to the idea that harming children is evil and they must be protected. And that surprised me. Not that it shouldn't surprise me, but there was something that I had such a resolute stance on in what was otherwise an absence of moral absolutes at that time in my heart, in my spirit. So I was almost overjoyed <laughs> to feel that one come up. Another one was I wanted to heal the wounds between men and women, regardless of whatever was right or wrong or whatever lifestyles people wanted to adopt. I didn't want there to be this incredible anger between the genders toward each other from lack of compassion, lack of understanding, leading to lack of respect, lack of affection, lack of trust. That was still something that I wanted to stand for, that I wanted to fight for. And if you know me well, you know that these are still two things that I care very deeply about. In fact, in thinking a lot about legacy 
And if I were taken from Earth more soon, <laughs> sooner than I want to be, and I don't think that's going to happen. I have many things that have been spoken in my spirit that I'm going to be here quite a long time. Thank you very much. And I'm going to work and do good work until the very last minute. <laughs> but something that I'm still very passionate about is healing these wounds between men and women and protecting and fighting for the rights, the well-being of children. So those core things that matter to me, things that I was willing to stand for, that I was willing to fight for, even though I couldn't at that moment figure out who the heck I was, who God was or wasn't, or if he was a thing, I couldn't see anything clearly. And so the question to guide yourself out of a spiritual dark night of the soul, which is characterized by a total questioning of the meaning of life and the existence of God and the concepts of morality of right and of wrong. The question to ask yourself so your soul doesn't get sucked into what can be a real momentum of malaise, an inertia, if you will, of just being existentially miserable every day and finding something to distract yourself for a couple minutes, whether it's social media or it's something sexual or drugs or alcohol or food or friends, right? Something that pulls you out of the questioning Instead of all of that, the effective way to survive and slowly escape from the dark hole of a spiritual dark night of the soul is to ask yourself, what would you still stand and fight for? And then if you have the courage, and when you're ready, you can ask yourself, why? Why does it matter that children be protected? Why is it worth fighting for that men and women would work in beautiful harmony together rather than exhausting their strength and their energy and their resources and their time on battling each other? Why? And from that question, most likely you'll return to some form of an understanding of a higher power and something that makes certain things good and right and noble and other things disgraceful, disgusting, deplorable. So honestly, friends, it took me a while to walk my upturned little soul <laughs> out of that spiritual dark night so long ago many wonderful people came alongside me and helped me out of it without judgment without rushing without pushing me to believe something I didn't want to believe and here's why I'm so glad it happened so that in case you're thinking oh my gosh I hope that never happens to me or oh my gosh that would just how could I I could never or you've been through something like this and you're not sure you rebuilt from it well every belief that I came to after that spiritual dark night was my own Now, fortunately, I was lucky enough to be raised in a home where I was always allowed to choose my own beliefs. Any questions I had were answered openly, but nothing was forced on me. 
theologically or philosophically, and I'm so grateful for that. But nevertheless, you're little, you're young, and whether it's from school or from church or from parents or from friends or family, you pick up concepts, conceptions of the world, of people, of love, of God, of yourself, usually unconsciously. And it starts to create a worldview that you might not necessarily have really willingly or knowingly opted into. And yet it formed itself in you. So the beautiful thing about a spiritual dark night of the soul is it essentially wipes the slate clean. And says, all right, human. You're down here on earth. You have no intention or desire to leave. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do with your time here? What are you going to do so that your soul isn't miserable dragging itself through the rest of your life? Because friends, let me tell you, in that period in Paris, the rest of my life looked hell along. Hell along. But when you get to wipe the slate clean, and then you ask yourself these exquisite questions, of what still matters to me? What would I still stand and give my strength to fight for? You can rebuild a belief system and a worldview that is then unshakable because it is fully authentic to your consensual, conscious choosing. Now, I took my time with this, okay? I rebuilt after that, oh my gosh, at least over the next year, possibly year and a half. But the beliefs that I rebuilt have never left me now. Nor do I feel any need (laughs) to remove them. I am as convinced now as I was when I rebuilt them that I fully and firmly believe in them. And As I go through life, I only see further evidence that they're true. And that doesn't mean life has been without rough patches and bumps. And if anything, that has solidified the beliefs that I regained and rebuilt on a firmer foundation after that spiritual dark night. So to me, in my opinion, and I hope for you, that was invaluable. It taught me and showed me the power that I have to consciously choose my beliefs. And when you can consciously choose and control or pivot or master your beliefs, how you choose to see yourself in the world and God, no one else can come in and manipulate you through attempting to change your beliefs without you noticing because you know if you previously only had beliefs that you picked up from peer groups or family or spouses or culture if you were led around by someone else's belief like a cat toy at the end of a stick then you could be distracted in any way people want to take you but when you have rebuilt your foundation yourself on your own, in the dark. 
when you've climbed up one stair at a time from what feels like pitch darkness and nobody helped you. (laughs) My guess is you'll be damned before somebody tries to shove a belief that you don't want on you ever again. It's not going to happen. And that strength, that fortitude, that unshakable foundation that has now been built to me is priceless. As I climbed out, because it wasn't like it suddenly was a flip of a switch and the lights came on and, oh my gosh, everything's back to normal. Not at all. It was a slow rebuilding process and I was not only never the same, I was better. Afterward, when I finally began revisiting the Bible, first as almost, let's see what's in here again, (laughs) then as, well, there was always good advice in here. And then suddenly things jumped at me with a meaning that I hadn't seen before, especially the Psalms. When you've walked through a spiritual darkness and then you read the passages where someone is crying out in total authenticity to God. Not in any way like a religious leader who's pontificating and trying to posture and look a certain way or blindly follow arbitrary rules, someone who is desperately seeking the very source of creation itself. Oh my gosh, you guys, it resonates. It resonates differently. It jumps to you. The Holy Spirit comes to you and speaks so firmly through it. You're like, oh my God, I've been there. I've been in that pit, literally or figuratively, metaphorically. I completely understand that agony. And I completely remember what it was like to finally be pulled out, to be released, to step out, to climb out. And to not care what other people think after that. So, again, as I understand this, that is what it looks like to go through a spiritual dark night of the soul. The worst kind, generally the one that lasts longer is more painful, is more terrifying. I think it only happens once, certainly only needs to. And the beauty of it is that it provides an incredible opportunity to rebuild your life on your beliefs that you chose for yourself between you and God. And the other beautiful thing about it is that you will encounter God in a more raw, primal, powerful way, you'll have such a deeper respect for God when you encounter him, when you've given up all of the various trappings of religiosity or whatever background you grew up with or faith or church groups or whatever. And again, nothing wrong with any of that. But when you've come to question all of it and God still shows up in your spirit, in your questionings, it is... My God, you see the lion that is in God and you see the heart that he has for you and you see not only the passion that he has to pursue you, to chase you down, to patiently wait for you and to make you understand his love for you again. It takes your relationship with him to a different level, your respect for him to a different level, your trust in him to a different level. And then no matter what anybody wants to come at you and say about him or about how you should live or whatever, you don't care (laughs) because you have met God in the dark and that person wasn't there, were they? So I guess you don't need them now either. 
So I, it sounds silly, but I love Dark Nights of the Soul because if you know what to do when it happens, and I hope that this will guide you and encourage you and help you if you've been through one before, if you feel you're in one now, if you're watching someone you love walk through one, don't fear it. It's not bigger than God. It's not like he can't reach you there. My God, he can reach you anywhere. Down to the pits of hell, he can grab you and pull you out, right? He's God. It's the opportunity that you as a human being have to rebuild your life on beliefs that are unshakable. That is the advantage that weathering well a dark night of the soul can give you. Now, <laughs> I hope that wasn't too intense for you, but I love the intensity if I'm honest with you. It's, it's the part of life where being with God, going with God gets really good and it doesn't get stuck in some Christian cultural shaming mommy blogger <laughs> sorry but let's just tell it like it is the second type of dark night of the soul is much easier <laughs> so don't be alarmed we've done the hard part we've done the hard work this is one that i think can happen more frequently it tends to feel almost as sickening as the first kind but generally not quite as scary it sometimes feels logistically scary, scary on a practical level, like you're not sure what it means about what's going to happen in your life now and is everything ruined or are you going to spend the rest of forever alone with everyone hating you? But the beautiful thing about the second type of dark night of the soul and why it's not nearly as scary as the first kind is that your faith in God is not wavering. You might look up at the sky and be like, what the heck was that, Lord? <laughs> like, what did you just allow? What the what? I know you're in control, but what the, you know, bleep, Father, wh what was that? Like, that was, I mean, hello, what's going on, right? But in spite of maybe being a little bit upset with the Lord and maybe wondering why on earth he is allowing something, your faith in him is still not shaken. If anything, I find that in a, the second kind of a dark night of the soul, similar perhaps as the first one, but in the first one, it doesn't happen come toward until the end. In the midst, though, of the second type of dark night of the soul, you can form an even more powerful, close, unbreakable, something that can't be interrupted or intimidated out of you or in any way disturbed relationship with God. And it's funny because the hallmark, the characteristic of the second type of dark night of the soul is yes, you don't lose your faith in God, but you might lose your faith in people. <laughs> Generally what happens to create this kind of shakeup is people, right? Something in the world, maybe it was intentionally orchestrated by a person or by a group of people or maybe it was something that was you know outside of your control a natural disaster or an illness but something happens in the natural world that essentially destroys your sense of normalcy and the things that you may have unconsciously or even very consciously built your identity on right like being a wife like being a mother like being I don't know a doctor like being you know, healthy yourself, whatever it may be, your self-concept is rocked or even destroyed, but your faith in God is not. And that's why, in my opinion, it's much easier to go through. 
because it may be hell. It may be miserable to weather. It may be confusing. It may be dark. It may involve betrayal or disillusionment or fear or very practical, tangible fears of how are we going to afford food? Where am I going to live? Who can I trust? Right? But you have this sense even as everything around you is spinning and as the way you see yourself and see the world and see your roles and see your identity is all maybe just undergoing an earthquake, right? An avalanche, a hurricane, you know, choose your metaphor of choice. But you have this sense of having a death grip on God's hand the whole time. Of having this feeling that everyone around you may be unavailable or not trustworthy or whatever, but God refuses to let you go. And while it's miserable to go through these awakenings almost where you get to see human frailty and the fact that human beings are not infallible like God, they are very fallible. Your relationship with God himself gets deeper and stronger. So the advantage to this type of dark night of the soul is, one, you learn who your people are, perhaps, depending on what exactly is causing it. This type of dark night does tend to go more frequently with periods of transition. So it doesn't necessarily come out of nowhere as far as there's no apparent cause or reason for it. The event or the behavior of a person that might cause it can come out of nowhere or can seem to come out of nowhere. But the advantages are you learn who your people are. You learn a lot more about human nature. You may learn about the fallibility of certain systems that you thought were very safe and very trustworthy, something you could lean on, depend on, and count on. You find out who's in your corner and who is not. You learn so much about your own strength. You literally experience your ability to survive. And one of the best things that it does is it forces you to relinquish your grip of faith and hope and trust in anything other than God himself. Which you can do because, again, in this type of dark night, you're not doubting God. You're seeing people (laughs) and earth, perhaps, more clearly. So this can feel like a dark night because it can often come with a feeling or even a reality of betrayal, of being stabbed in the back, of being abandoned, of being rejected, of being isolated, of being ostracized, of being judged, of being slandered, of being all kinds of fun, different things. But you're a badass. Already, I'm not saying that to encourage you. I'm saying it is fact. Because if you've gone through the first type of spiritual dark night of the soul where everything about everything, about God and about the universe and about human existence was questioned in your soul and you rebuilt yourself and your beliefs and your relationship with God brick by brick on something that you consciously, truly believed to be true. Then when the second tide of dark night hits, they don't know who they're messing with. They don't understand that you're not a poser who's pretending to have a wonderful walk with the Lord like you have become a badass. 
you cannot be shaken. You didn't come to play. And they picked the wrong chick to mess with. Because they're not actually messing with you. They're messing with someone who is so tightly linked with God through a relationship that is closer than ever, that has already been forged in fire. And this time around, because your basis is in God, he will surround you. I love that verse. He will be around you like a ring of fire and he will be the glory in your midst. You have already wrestled the demons of doubting God and your faith in him has won. It may look a little different, but it's a lot stronger than it was before. And so this time, he's already playing on your team because he knows he has your heart. And so when life comes at you and you have these sickening experiences where you experience humans and their two-facedness or their deceptiveness or all of the horrific, awful things that humans can do to each other or just the brokenness of the world where terrible things that are outside of human control can happen. And everything that felt safe and that felt normal and that felt like a perfectly happy, good little life is shaken down to the ground in absolute rubble. You still know how to hold on to the hand of God. Desperately, perhaps. But very firmly. And so what happens in the second type of dark night that I'm describing now is that you become bigger is what I want to say. You become stronger. You become tougher. In my mind, literally your spiritual energy, your spiritual capacity, your spiritual strength expands. You start to be able to operate in a level that is supernatural because you learn how to be in union with God and his will and his spirit, even when what is in the natural fails you, which is actually the game of life. (laughs) In my opinion, it's actually reality. It's actually what's happening. It's just most people you know, don't perceive the world that way. They're still very much in the material and they're still very much focused on the promotion or the car or the, you know, the relationship, whatever, right? When you understand that human life, that your your run here on the earth, I don't believe in reincarnation or anything like that. I think it's YOLO, DFIU. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you get one shot, let's go. When you understand that your chance here on earth is to continually expand more into the nature and likeness of God and fulfillment of the assignment he has on your life, then you already are able and ready to release your grip on things that are, frankly, temporary or are something that can be taken. And it's still an incredibly painful experience to go through. That's why it's a dark night of the soul. It's awful. The grieving alone of relationships you thought were unshakable, people who you thought you could trust, of people who you thought would never betray you or turn their back on you or, or slam you or lie about you or leave you or, or whatever, right? Whether it's parents or siblings or best friends. But if you've already built your awareness of life to know that you're going to be able to survive that, then the experience, even though it's brutal, 
builds a stronger relationship with God. And that's the advantage. So how do you weather this one? This one, my friends, I think just takes time. I don't have a question per se that I think can pull you out of it. I think it's almost more like grieving the death of a person that you loved. And it just takes time. It takes getting up in the morning, going about your business, walking down the streets, going to the grocery store, doing whatever work you need to do, showering, closing up the house at night, whatever your day looks like, with thoughts, awarenesses, realizations crossing through your mind, memories of something that someone used to do, or a thought to reach out and text them and realizing now that you probably should not do that, <laughs> right? Or a missing of a presence that used to be just without question, always down around your feet, always there on the other end of the couch, always in their house and, and opening their doors to you with love. And so it just is a matter of going through day after day, becoming aware of what a new reality looks like. And if anything, perhaps the helpful thought in this one is to be incredibly grateful for what you have. The little things, the things that can't be taken from you, the things that are not in your control now, they are simply gifts from God and they weren't in your control before, but perhaps you overlooked them. The number of times these days, friends, that I look up and just thank God for a blue sky and birds <laughs> and a, a coffee and my health, you know, it just, the things that, I was previously running so quickly that I almost didn't even see. And then I learned to appreciate as a form of self-love and of mindfulness and of being in the moment and enjoying life. But now, now there's almost a desperation of gratitude of just this total awareness of my dependence and the favor of God that would still bestow on me something like a bird outside my window. To some of you, that may sound pathetic. To others of you who have gone through this or are in a season like this now, you know exactly what I mean. It is a freshness of appreciation like you never thought you could have. It is literally like you thought you were going to die. You had a diagnosis of death and yet you wake up and you realize that not only are you still alive, but the doctor has come in and he said they got the diagnosis wrong. And in fact, you're not going to die in three months. You have a long, healthy, happy life ahead of you. And suddenly it's like the colors are brighter and everything is just worth kissing. The puppies, the children, the floor, it's just life is back that's how it starts to feel when you come out of this second type of dark night of the soul you start to realize what cannot be taken away from you and you have a relationship with the provider of those things with the divine provision of god that is that's a tighter bond than you ever could have imagined that it would be because finally you see who you can actually depend on, who you can actually trust, who actually will never leave you, who actually is in control, who actually ensures that every plan that is intended to harm you will actually be turned around to bless and favor you right in the face of your enemies to their amazement or their dismay. 
So if you are in a season like one of these, either the first type of a spiritual dark night of the soul where your very concepts of right and wrong and God's existence and the meaning of humanity is spiraling and you don't know how to get out, start to ask yourself, what would you still stand for? And if you're in the second type of dark night where your grip on God is firm, but you're watching things in the natural fall apart around you that you never thought would, you're watching an old identity, an old concept of yourself die, an old concept of other people perhaps, or the world even die, but you've got a death grip on God's hand and you're not letting it go and you know him well enough now to know that he's not going to let go either. Please understand that these are not signs of failure. I know for some of you it may be a stretch to hear me say that I actually perceive them as signs of favor, as signs that God trusts you with your free will, with your decision to return to him or to hold tight to him. And he's allowing things around you that need to be broken to break so they can be rebuilt better. That's what happens in the dark. And I know it's terrifying. The other thing I want you to be aware of that I didn't think I was going to go into, but here we go. And possibly it deserves a longer episode all for itself. But for those of you who are able to handle this level of conversation, and I assume that you are or you wouldn't still be listening, there truly is a spiritual warfare for people. There is a spiritual war in which God wants you, and if you can go with me here, these are my beliefs. I know many of you share them, but evil wants you, personified, Satan, the devil, like There's a fight for you. I know that for some of you, this feels like we're going back to, you know, the Baptist church you grew up in where you were ignoring it because it sounded crazy. (laughs) And I get it. Okay. I really get it. But um, I have seen things, my friends. I have seen very good, beautiful, personified things. And I have seen personified evil in the spiritual realms. And if there's anything that God told me this last time in Paris to convey to you, it is that there is a spiritual war for you. And your free will determines who's going to win. But if you love God, and even in the midst of the dark, you're freaking petrified, you're cursing, (laughs) you know, expletives are flying everywhere, people are betraying you, the whole world seems to be falling apart, you don't know who you are, you don't know what's going on, and this is awful, and what the, you know, all the expletives, right? But God knows who his people are. So when you're on God's team, I'm going to try to describe this as best I can. God help me. When God already knows that he owns your heart, okay, and chances are you probably know if he does or not. And if you're not sure, then you're possibly about to enter a, a spiritual dark night of the soul. And I hope that I've given you sufficient guidance on how to go through it well. But if you're more in the second phase where you've done the questioning and you've rebuilt your beliefs on a strong foundation, they are yours and not your mother's or your father's or your sister's or your brother's or your cousin's or your pastor's. They are yours. Okay. So if you're then going through life and crazy stuff 
goes down. But you know your heart is God's. And you know you're going to run home to dad, like your spiritual dad. You're going to run home to God no matter what's happening to you. And he knows he's got your heart. Then the spiritual war that is raging around you, I want you to be aware of because it explains why there's so many crazy things going on. But I also want you to not fear it. Okay? Don't fear it. He's already won. You have nothing to be afraid of. The spiritual warfare is explaining why all hell is breaking loose around you. Why people and roles and relationships and who knows, routines and systems and structures and organizations that you thought you could depend on are are crumbling around you perhaps. But it's already been won. This, in my mind, is when God talks about the pure of heart, like blessed are the pure of heart. If he knows he has your heart, like the psalmist who runs to him in the midst of everything else, like if he knows that you plaintively have this authentic, desperate connection to him or a desire for that level of connection, right? We're not talking about like a perfect relationship with God. It's just a longing to be in right standing with some sense of the divine in the world. That's what I'm talking about, okay? If God knows he has your heart, if he already owns your heart, then the warfare around you is just something to walk through. It's just something to be aware of. If anything, this should be a reassurance to you. Because you don't have to fear it. It's going to be okay. You just have to outlast it by continuing to hold on to his hand until it's over. And it will be over, my friend, okay? It will end. Whatever you're walking through right now, whatever dark night, whatever spiritual sense of what the heck is going on, whatever betrayal or disillusionment or abandonment or rejection or lack of provision apparent in the natural world, whatever you're going through is going to end. And on the other side of God rebuilding your foundations, you're going to be stronger, smarter, faster, savvier, happier, more peaceful and joy-filled than ever before. But I just want you to know that there is a war for you. I just also want you to know that you don't have to fear it. This was the sense that was on me during this last trip to Paris. I couldn't sleep at night. It was wild. I kept having these dreams of warning dreams of certain people who were trying to trick me and I would wake up with this awareness of like, don't go back there. Don't trust this. Don't, you know, don't do these things. And I was like, Lord, you know, what the heck? I would, I'd kind of like to adjust to the time zones, Father. You know, I'm, I'm hoping to do some tourist sightseeing. Like, that was not his priority on this trip. His priority was escorting me safely through the war for me that was going on around me. And if you really want to get into the high level here, God loves each and every one of us. He values each and every one of us. There's my, you know, Jesus disclaimer. But what the war was really for, because my salvation is on lock. Okay, I'm not worried. What the war was really for is my assignment. Jesus, I can feel it in me as I say this to you. The war was on whether Jackie was going to stand up and fulfill what God has on my life to do. Was I going to walk through and fulfill the assignment that God put on my life that I accepted, that I said that I would do? Or was the warfare around me 
going to intimidate or distract me or discourage me out of it. And now that I'm thinking about it, what's so wild is that it was in Paris previously that I said, yes, God, I accept the assignment. I will go out and, you know, we don't need to get into that now, but I will do the thing that you have asked me to do. I will go out and help and serve and protect and, you know, guide women in this way who are being hurt in so many ways. I said yes. I said yes innocently, even naively, like, of course, that sounds exciting. I will totally do it. How, you know, magnificent, what an honor. And then the warfare. So that's why I, I said earlier, sometimes this can be a sign of favor. And you're like, Jackie, what the heck are you talking about, girl? <laughs> this is not favor. This is not favor. And I get it. I have been there, too, on the ground and the floor with piles of tissues listening to Mercy Me's Even If on repeat. You know, like, I will stay here with you, God, even though I don't understand why you are taking from me all of the things that I love so much. It's because he was preparing me to be able to execute an assignment that was much more important than my comfort. Okay? So when there's warfare around you, and in this I'm talking specifically about the second type of the dark night of the soul, when all hell is breaking loose and everything you thought you could trust is seemingly to turn on you, that you just, you don't understand. It doesn't even make sense. And some of it, I hate to tell you, although, you know, it doesn't really matter because you're protected, but you don't even see, right? God's blocking attempts to harm you that you're not even aware are happening behind your back. Thank you, Jesus. Because the war is for your assignment. There are so many people who could be reached, who could be saved, who could be blessed, who could be protected, who could be eased in their unnecessary suffering from you being faithful to execute in obedience the assignment that God has put on your life. And that is what the devil is after. So if he can pull you out of obedience through a scary dark night of the soul that makes you feel like you're not safe, that triggers the provision wound, that gets you too focused on the details of things that don't seem to be going according to your plan rather than focusing on the death grip that you have on the hand of God who's going to pull you through everything, not only with safety and provision, but with prestige and power, with ascension to another level, with promotion. I, I'm not trying to promise things, okay? I'm just noticing what tends to happen when people are faithful to walk with God tightly through the midst of the dark night. I'm just saying from what I can see, it seems to often, not always, but frequently be better for them on the other side. Even if it's not exactly what they thought it would look like. They are at nothing else at a higher spiritual level of strength. It's like, it's almost frustrating, friends, but it's like one of those video games, right? Where you beat a level and you're like, I beat the level and then it gets harder. And you think, what? I just won, you know? How is this harder, right? Because you're stronger now. You're more trustworthy now. God knows you can accomplish more now. But think of all the people you're able to help by being faithful to your assignment worth it and the dark nights are where you're built 
where your beliefs are built, where your conviction is built, where people who want to come at you and say, well, you just believe that because you're in a community of people who tell you what to think and you give them the middle finger because you know what you walked through and you know where you built the level of conviction that you have and that can't be taken from you. Or when people want to try to say, well, everybody's judging you and every, uh, do you care? No. You've seen people. You've watched humanity. You've possibly very much lost your faith to some extent. Hopefully still retained your compassion, but certainly learned that the thing that you trust in is God. And that's what makes you unshakable. That's what makes you impervious to the praise or to the judgments of human beings, which allows you to be faithful in obedience to your assignment, regardless of what the peanut gallery is saying. Okay. (laughs) Have I gotten you either terrified or fired up? That's how it's done, friends. That's the dark side of the ascension process that you guys know I love to talk about. The dark side of accepting your assignment is the warfare that's unleashed when you give God your initial yes. But what I'm telling you is if you hold on tightly enough to his hand, if you build your beliefs in solitude, in silence, perhaps in darkness, so that they can't be taken from you, you will win. Because you're working with him and he has already won for you. You're just holding his hand, walking through. It's like being a wide-eyed child in a big, busy, scary part of town with mom or dad, holding on to their hand as tightly as they can, looking around in every direction with great big eyes like, what the heck is going on here? You don't understand it. You don't even know the half of it, but you know that you're okay because you've got their hand. They know what they're doing. They're big. (laughs) They're bigger than all the scary stuff. They know exactly where you're headed. They know exactly how to get there. There is not a doubt that you will arrive. Just keep holding on. Because the dark nights end. And the dark nights are where God builds a stronger you. I love you guys. You've got this. More than you know. Don't stop. It's going to be beautiful on the other side. Today's episode is brought to you by the Bombshell Manifesto. The Bombshell Manifesto is a two-time number one best-selling book, and it's where I really teach the philosophy of the biblical bombshell. After spending years in ministry and now more years running my life coaching business, I see so many young women and even women well into their lives just floundering and kind of flopping around in some of the essential areas of God-created femininity, such as their relationship with God, their relationship with their bodies, their relationship with men, with sex, with beauty, with their finances. And I just don't think we have time for that. I think that we are called to do such big things for God while we're here. We've got to get these areas under control, locked on, so we can move forward toward our exciting assignments and massive callings in life. So in this book, I really give you the behind the scenes of my personal journey, struggling with what God was calling me to be as a woman. 
going back and forth around the over-sexualized ideas of femininity or the completely asexual versions we often see in the church where we're not supposed to talk about that tough stuff. I lead you through the research and the history around the concept of a bombshell, a few personal visions and ideas I have around it, and then the scripture that God puts in front of us as how he wants us to understand the important role we play as women. Do you know that a woman was the way that the Savior came into the world and was the first evangelist of his resurrection and then ascension? This is a big deal, ladies. So hop over to bombshellmanifesto.com. Now you can find this book on Amazon, but if you go through bombshellmanifesto.com, I've got a couple extra fun free bonuses and ways that you can actually get free trainings and audios that take this whole concept deeper. We walk through the 12 pillars of a biblical bombshell, addressing tough areas of life like opening to vulnerability and intimacy, understanding beauty and God's calling for it, getting deeper into our confidence and our security, committing to a relationship with God that blows our minds and more. What I see so much from women and hear from them, and quite frankly, I hear it from men who are looking for a woman to marry or they want their wife to come alive in the way they know that she can, is that there's some kind of tapped-in femininity that is out there that is possible but that's incredibly difficult to find. Women long to be it, men long to find it, and this is the calling we have as women. This is what we're able and even asked to step into, required, I would say, to step into, to live out everything God has for us. But I see so many women who are stuck in mediocrity and are told that that kind of complacency is contentment and that's where they should stay and they should just be happy with it and, you know, that's life. I don't think that's what God's asking. I don't think that's what we're here to do. And I don't think we have any more time to waste. So join me over at bombshellmanifesto.com. Let's light this thing on fire. Let's get out into the world and do what we're supposed to do. Do what we can do. Be fully who God has called us to be. The bottom line is this. The entire world is obsessed with women, and they should be. That's the way it's designed. We are the ones who continue life, we continue the human race. We are always going to be attracting people's attention. We are always going to be shaping human beings, shaping culture, and pointing people towards something. The question is, what are we pointing them toward? Have we completely released and activated every area of our God-designed femininity to do those things well? I hope you'll join me. I think there's no more important calling on this earth as a woman than to live out her full God-given design and to use it to point people to Him. So let's get this thing started. Let's set ourselves free. Let's set our families free. And let's light the world ablaze with the truth that is only in the gospel. I'll see you at bombshellmanifesto.com.